Sunday, 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 right here on twitch.tv slash Echoplex Media. It's the Plex, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Pacific and on into red light. We have the worst news in the week that no one else will cover. The Plex has it all. Conspiracy, right-wing nut jobs, Christian extremism, and Madison Star Moon. Tune in every Sunday at 7 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash Echoplex Media and find our full schedule at echoplexmedia.com. And let's just spell it out for you. E-C-H-O-P-L-E-X. They fucking laugh at us! I'm white and I've got everything I need. No one clutches their purses when they're in a room alone with me. Dollar Tree. We do the show live every Wednesday, rain or shine, because we are indoors on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Echoplex Media. You can support this project by going to patreon.com slash Echoplex or a new way to subscribe, kind of exactly like Patreon. You go to eplex.store and subscribe there. There's two tiers there, and you get all the great stuff that you would get on Patreon. Uh, plus, you get a discount in the store if you are a member there. And uh, if you're already a Twitch sub, you get a little bit of a discount on your membership over there. So that's just, an, I called it a membership. It's just another way to support this project. Also in that swag shop is a bunch of great stuff. We're adding more stuff. My new favorite is the hat that just says tinfoil on it. It's the coolest tinfoil hat you could ever wear. Already sold one. Sold one within an hour of putting it up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find me on Grinder. I'm Producer Dave. And I'm HK Perrin. Uh, you can find me on Mastodon at hparent at port87.social. Uh, and you can also find me on a really crappy Fediverse website called Nesso.social. I built it in one month and it's terrible. Don't go on it. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> find him there too. Find him there too. Uh, it's on it's on GitHub too. You can audit his code. Yep. I built it for a hackathon, so it's not staying up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, 
I was going to do a Steven Pinker on um, why everyone's wrong to criticize him, but that's like kind of in the weeds. And I think I'm going to save that for the next time you're on an adventure. So we're going to do okay. um, uh, someone that you're less of a fan of maybe than you once were after our last uh, encounter with him. Uh, we're going to do the yeah. cosmic skeptic. Yeah, he didn't do a great job on that interview we watched. Um, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great at all. I would argue not even good. It was just okay. My take so far is that he sees how many um, views someone like Constantine gets and didn't want to piss him off too much. Possibly, yeah. I mean, you know, and he's young. He's young, whatever. He'll maybe he'll maybe he'll see the see that this stuff is a problem here he is with a posh white supremacist douglas murray i mean if he like if he doesn't basically just call this guy a racist asshole during this there's no hope right like because douglas murray is like a <laughs> like a special case yep yeah oh i'm sorry posh gay racist asshole douglas murray don't want to don't want to leave the identity politics out So welcome back to the Cosmic Skeptic Podcast, everybody. Today, I am joined in the studio by Douglas Murray, who is, of course, the author and journalist, uh, founder of the Center for Social Cohesion and associate editor of The Spectator. But you'll probably know him, if you do know him, uh, most for his publications uh, in 2017, wasn't it? The Strange Death of Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, and as if you hadn't annoyed enough people with that, you've decided now to take on uh, four more equally controversial issues in the madness of crowds, a link to which is available uh, in the description. But thank you for being here. It's a great pleasure. So, uh, the so last, far. Yeah, so far. Good so far, right? The, the last time uh, I saw you in person, not that you'd have any reason to remember this, but was after your event at the O2 Arena ah, with yeah, yeah. Sam Harris and, uh, and Jordan Peterson. Right. And, you know, I was there again recently listening to John Mayer, who'd sold out the arena. And I couldn't help think, I was sat at the back looking at all these people thinking, here, here are these epitomes of pop culture. Mm. Uh, John Mayer, Ariana Grande, One Direction, selling out these, these arenas. And the last time I was here, I was listening to you. It, it's one thing to, to speak in front of a crowd. Mm. What on earth is that kind of experience like, to speak in front of an arena? Mm. To, to American listeners who don't know, that's one of the, the largest venues in the United Kingdom. I can't imagine what that must have been like. Yeah, we um, two nights earlier, we, Jordan, Sam and I had done the uh, three arena in Dublin mm. with a similar number of people on a Saturday night in uh, in, in Dublin. I feel and like if, uh, if yeah, I were running this were show and you, Douglas, you know, I was interviewing Douglas Murray, I wouldn't put my logo next to him up on the screen. <laughs> I'd be, it's a real I, bad look. I'd be hesitant to do so as well. But, you know, these are just, uh, you know, they're just... Uh, Having a, a polite conversation about ideas, though, uh, HK. You gotta, you gotta remember that. Well, I think we were the first writers to play the O2. Right. Uh, <laughs> although since then, regrettably, Michelle Obama has yes. stolen that. Unfortunately. That, regrettably? Yeah, right. Why would you regret that you and Michelle Obama, like, that's a pretty fucking, that's a pretty high honor to have been, like, speaking yeah. at the same place that Michelle Obama is. She's way more popular than you, dude. That's what's regrettable. She probably <laughs> sold more tickets than you you guys did. <laughs> so has performed at the O2, but it's, uh, it's an amazing thing. Mm. Uh, I have to say that of all the things one can be pessimistic about these days, um, that isn't one of them. Right. The idea that 
you know, 10,000 people, mainly young. Uh, there's probably an- another reason why he said regrettably, specifically about Michelle Obama. To listen mm-hmm. to probably a discussion which... Yeah. Maybe a variety of reasons. I, mean, I was moderating it, but I mean... <laughs> Why pick just one? Certainly, you know, Jordan and Sam's contributions were you know, at an incredibly high intellectual level. And I think if even 10 years ago or five years ago, you'd said that that would be the sort of thing that could happen. Yeah. At this time, you'd, people wouldn't have believed you. They'd be amazed. Yeah, well, that's what um, Mr. Pangburn said to me. that he Mr. Pangburn? That's Travis Pangburn who, like, challenged me to debate him in his Discord, like, when I was talking crap in his youtube comments and i went in his discord and he's like you're in the wrong channel we can't broadcast in this channel i'm like but we're already in this channel and i'm i am broadcasting i'm like but i'll go to whatever other channel you want you fucking weird nerd and then he called me an arsler and kicked me out of his discord the mr pangburn mr pangburn that's sir pangburn sir pangburn (laughs) sir pangburn of kicketh davith outeth (laughs) <laughs> laugh in his face when he suggested the idea originally but right. the thing is so the, i mean the thesis of your of your book in a sense or at least what it's about is this kind of uh the, the difficulty of holding the kinds of views that someone like sam harris with his criticisms of islam someone like jordan peterson and his criticisms of postmodernism, and oh. yourself of course wait uh, the, you're like really like fucking i'm sorry dude you're burying the lead on these views sam harris the thing his criticism of islam is all but gone right he doesn't talk about islam at all as far as we can tell anymore. That's fucking 10 years yep. ago, Sam Harris. Sam Harris right now criticizing a lot of trans people, uh, mostly got into the public eye in a big way again because of the Douglas Murray kerfuffle. Jordan Peterson, nobody's really talking about him in postmodernism unless they're doing like an impression of him making fun of him, going, oh, the postmodernists. Nobody's talking about him with <laughs> postmodernism. They're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Why are like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's most famous for a uh, beef and benzos now. And then what did he say? This guy's most famous for like, because this guy's just famous for being a fucking white supremacist. Jordan Peterson and his criticisms of postmodernism and oh. yourself, of course, yeah. uh, the difficulty of, of holding those views in the mainstream. And yet here mm. you are selling out an arena of people who are willing to come and listen. Uh, yeah. Does, does, I mean, what, how does that speak to, to the points of your book if you're able to do something like that, uh, um, despite simultaneously claiming that any time you try to say anything on Twitter, it's like a, it's like a mind people <laughs> out there? Well, Twitter the Probably people world. just thought he was a different Douglas but, Murray. Um, I think that what's happening is that there are things that we know to be true, or at least very likely to be true. He's wearing a particularly small watch. Put beyond limits exactly by who and in what order you can debate, but that that there are a set of issues which kind of distract. a lot of people, if not most people, know to be true and yet cannot say or cannot speculate upon in public. Uh, I mean, the one I finish, The Madness of Crowds, with the issue of trans is is perhaps the most obvious of that because we keep seeing the effects of... The issue of trans? ...being able to have a debate about it. And we keep on seeing the anathematization. This, I feel like this is a common trope in, uh, in racists is they'll think, oh, everyone else thinks like me. They just can't say it. And every once in a while, you know, as a white person, someone will say like a, something super racist and be like, right? Yeah. Yeah. You'll be like, it's nah. Like, Fucking no, bro. <laughs> you got the wrong guy here. <laughs> I feel like these kind of guys just 
love to do that. They love to assume that you are also a racist because you're white. Also, like, so the- when he says, like, you know, there are tons of people that just are dying to say something. They just can't say it in public. Like, that's an assumption. That's a huge assumption on on his part. And yeah, it's and incorrect. He, when he said the issue of trans and nobody wants to talk to you about it. I think like what they want is like a representative of all of trans to come speak with them. Right. Like, and (laughs) and because like I'd talk to these people about trans issues, I wish I, you know, I would, they would be more likely to speak to me than maybe your average trans person, which is a fucking problem. Right. Because then Mm -hmm. I'd be in there like fucking basically speaking on behalf of some other group of people. I'm a little bit closer because we're part of the, you know, I'm queer and we're part of the queer community and we do suffer some of the same bigotries or if it's not the same, at least the fucking chorus rhymes. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, and, Mm -hmm. but what do you mean you can't debate it? That's all you talk. That's all you motherfuckers talk about now. Yeah. Like (laughs) they spend hours a day questioning why they can't spend hours a day talking about something <laughs> like you fucking are man all that most most people don't want to kill people they don't actually want to incite riots against people but they they would like to be able to have conversations about important and tricky subjects without being anathematized yes so i mean that's the thing though is like most free? people can have conversations about the things that they believe most people aren't bigots and they do this that's that is a an assumption i could be wrong but i i assume that most people aren't bigots and i feel like if you if you survey people most people have zero problem with trans people or to the extent that they do have a problem it's things they don't understand versus like i am mad right yeah, like probably the one main issue that like the most people would have a problem with is like should trans people be playing in sports as their uh as the gender that they've transitioned to. And that is a question that is best left to sports authorities, not anyone else. Right, because they're the ones that are in charge and um yeah. also like all of a sudden these people are big fans of women's fucking swimming. Get the fuck out of here. No, you're not. Right? Like that's, <laughs> right. that's the other thing. Maybe even the fans of women swimming could be involved in the conversation because those are the customers, right? Yeah. But <laughs> this is this is this is ridiculous that they can't have these conversations. That's all these fucking people talk about is their bigotries and how they can't talk about their bigotries and their biases. Um, and the other thing they do, and I I already know he's going to do this. They're gonna they're gonna conflate the public with the having a conversation with my friend over a drink. Cause I'll say thing you and I'll have a conversation over a drink and they're fucking might, we might blurt out some shit on o- over a drink that we'd never say on the air. wouldn't be bigoted or whatever. It would just be a joke or some, you know, some, some kind of energy we don't really want to put out there in the world, but it's fine to fucking point it at each other. Cause we know, we know each other pretty well, but that's, mm-hmm. it's, it's so, it's so crazy listening, listening to this. I, I just can't, I can't, I can't wrap my head around it. I think these people are mad at my mom when she told me when I was eight to think before I opened my damn mouth. I think that's who they're mad at mostly. (laughs) Bring up specific accusations, let's say of transphobia, for instance, is it the attempt to discuss the question or is it the holding of the view that's contrary to the mainstream? Uh, Well, the truth is it can be anything. Mm. I mean, if you hold a transphobic view, you are transphobic. Really? That's the definition of the word. 
an accusation, even if it is implausible, or even if it is insincerely made. Oh, that's a like bad faith shit. Accusation of a truthful claim. So that somebody's saying that is transphobic or that is racist does have the effect of silencing a person or no that's your decision whether or not you shut the fuck up and think about what you just said that's your decision (laughs) i can't by calling you a racist on my podcast or on twitter i cannot make you stop saying racist things yeah i believe we've been calling him a racist for like over a year at this point and he has not shut the fuck up (laughs) no no he is a he has he has done the opposite he's become more and more popular i think since we first started covering him Yep. Uh, but also like what he's arguing is that he should be able to say racist things and no one should be allowed to say that he is saying racist things or at least that it would be uncouth to say that he's saying racist things right at least that it stifles conversation if you say that what i said is racist then how are we ever going to talk about it how about we don't need to Right. I think that black people are just as human as you or I. How about that? Period. The end. Right. What if, what if, what if I don't like you? <laughs> what if that is that, is that an option? Like seem like a very sort of person you wouldn't want to be near hmm. and people take these things to heart. Now I think people have got to be a little bit more resilient against that because there's an obvious play going on there simply to win by labeling all opponents for your own personal convenience. An obvious play. It's to an label obvious all, play, Dave. To label all opponents. Do you know, I've had conversations with people about issues I don't agree with them on. Uh, we've had many conversations with Madison Star Moon. Uh, we never called her a racist because that's not really her problem. I've had conversations with flat earthers who I didn't think were racist. So guess what I didn't call them, HK? You didn't call them a racist. I actually just had a very heated discussion, uh, argument with someone recently about uh, specifically affirmative action. And he said many things uh, that I think are untrue arguments. Uh, But I never called him a racist because he didn't come across as like he wasn't saying anything racist. He was respecting minorities in what he said. but he was still arguing a racist point, you know, arguing against affirmative action is like you're on the side of the racists, uh, which is dangerous territory, but he's still not racist. So, you know, this idea that like, if I disagree with someone and I could potentially label them an a uh, racist that I will is like, that's ridiculous. And it shows that like his arguments aren't, non-racist and if everyone's labeling you a racist guess what right as the media went off and says maybe the problem's you maybe it's you (laughs) yeah you're a type of phobe but the, the the cost to our society of not being able to think about things seems to me to already be evident i understand is there any Is there any truth in the claims of the kind of identitarians that you're criticizing in the book? Uh, Yeah, of course. I mean, this is is the problem, isn't it? Wholly unjustifiable claims are unlikely to get anywhere. 
the kind of claims that do are ones that start in a reasonable place. Mm. Um, He's like, you know, those other racists, the, the social justice warriors might have a point, but for me, well, I didn't start from an unreasonable place. So the social justice warriors don't have a, uh, a point with me, but for the other racists, the very uncouth ones, the ones who don't speak in a posh British, British accent, for example, that don't write books. Those are the ones, those, okay. There's yeah. That's such a crazy, such a crazy question. Last book, The Strange Death of Europe, I, I, I did this with the immigration I, uh, question. And, and I, I knew from writing and talking and about that and traveling all around the world uh, to research that, I knew that the problem with the immigration question was not that there's no reasonable case for immigration. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. The problem is that there is. Like, there's a reasonable case for asylum. And millions of people yeah. around the world who have reasonable asylum claims. And it's the, case, and it's the sense that, that that claim, the, the legitimate claim, is so strong that it mm. embeds itself so deeply in people that... So he thinks asylum is the yeah. only... Like, he didn't say this, but no. he's implying that asylum is implying. the only... What's that? I don't even think he's implying that. That asylum is the only reason to yeah, I, immigrate? Yeah, I don't think he's implying that at all. I think he just used it as an example. Again... When people come at us for the things we say on this show, when, when I say us, I mean me. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to, like, I don't, I don't think he was implying that. Okay. I got the impression that he was, but maybe I'm wrong. The, the intuition to just follow it. Well, so for instance, if, if you do, just to stick on that one for a moment, if you, if you pretend that there is basically no difference between somebody fleeing war and somebody fleeing economic deprivation and because you happen to be in favor of open borders you're willing to pretend that that thing that divide doesn't exist uh, you can you can do a lot of bullying but wait a minute my position on that is that the divide is just not that great between if somebody wants to come to the united states or in his case the united kingdom and it's a war that they're fleeing or if they're fleeing abject poverty i really don't think that there's i don't know that the chasm is as wide as he would maybe be trying to have people believe because abject poverty is pretty fucking bad right <laughs> like yeah either one will kill you yes yes just in different ways in different amounts of time <laughs> space yeah uh, of your opponent so but as I say, I mean, you know, I spoke to enough migrants and indeed refugees in the years I was researching that book to know that, you know, these things are harder than that. They're, they're harder than any side is often willing to say. Yeah. And as I said at that time, people dream impossible dreams mm -hmm. from all directions. But uh, one of the things that came across when I was researching that is exactly one of the things that's also informed my thinking and writing in The Madness of Crowds, which is um, there are these issues. I do them one by one, as you know. Um, I find it odd that he's talking about his book, The Madness of Crowds, and they opened up the whole thing talking about how great it was. He had like ten or 12,000 people at an arena. I don't know. I Maybe I'm weird. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a crowd? <laughs> women, race, and trans, where we've basically prevented ourselves from being able to have a reasonable discussion. For instance, we, uh, relations between the sexes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know, I know the minute I start talking about this, most people just get very sweaty and worried because 
there's not much to be gained, they think. Mm. And there's an awful lot to lose. It's like a why bother kind of thing, right? Yeah, it's a risk analysis. Yeah. So uh, I don't think that's why. I think that, it's because they know what you're going to say and what you're going to say sucks. And I, I feel like I feel like when you're talking about relationships between men and women, I mean, maybe I have something to say at like the extremes where I notice like things that are extreme. But like as a gay man who's never really been in a relationship with a woman, maybe that's one of those places where I should just listen to men and women who are in relationships with one another instead of running my fucking mouth about it. Because I've been in relationships with men. And so my, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, it's not that I can't talk about it or whatever. It's that like, I should do more listening because I, I don't experience it. Just like I would hope that straight people would do more listening when they listen to uh, men who are in mostly relationships with men or women who are in mostly relationships with women talk about that kind of dynamic, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you meant more like uh, how men should treat women in society and how women should treat men in society though. Uh, Possibly. And oh, based, I, I've never heard specifically how he thinks that should happen, but based on his other arguments, I can't imagine that he has a very good perspective on that. Like, maybe we should all just respect each other. Can we do that? Would that be good? You know what? I also find interesting that probably nobody cares about, especially the people on the pod that can't see it. It looks like our uh, friend, the cosmic skeptic here has this big, impressive mixer in front of him. Said it looks like he knows what he's doing, but then hiding under his laptop is a two channel interface. (laughs) Do you see that? Yeah. uh, He, he might be using the mixer for maybe a soundboard. (laughs) I'm just XLR soundboard. I'm just, (laughs) I just know I just notice things like this, <laughs> and and recognizing that that's an approach that people take implies that maybe there isn't. It, it's maybe you're interested in what's true. His audio does sound good, though. Particularly many implications, but it seems like you're saying more than that. It seems like you're saying that the reason mm. uh, that you want to talk about these ideas is because they are of crucial importance. Yes, I mean there are things that they're really skirting around. Quote these ideas. Unquote. Right, they're talking about talking about something. It's it's a, an, yeah. a layer of abstraction away from an actual conversation, which is again like one of the things. It's the isn't it great that we're able to have this conversation, but they're actually not even there yet, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think what they're what they're essentially talking about is is it okay to be bigoted, and should bigots be ostracized from society? But why don't they just say that? Why don't they just say like, look, I have like, I have views that are extremely against trans people. Why are all these people saying that my views are problematic? Like, mostly because they are. (laughs) That are not, that do not do very much harm. Would you rather, I mean, so you say there are things that are held to be true that are not, um, but I mean, depending on the issue, would it not perhaps be more um, accurate or, or even more uh, like how about fucking name one to get your point kind of accepted to say that there are certain things that uh, whilst perhaps not true, ha- have just not been proven to be true. I don't know if they're false, but the the real problem is that is, mm-hmm. is not so much that I know they're false and you won't let me talk about it. It's that you haven't actually presented. Well, the, uh, if I so was saying that. The, the several fold. Firstly, the, the, I should have gone on to the second part of what I was going to say about um, your point, about your question about 
whether the people I'm criticizing are onto anything. And when I was saying, mm. yes, I should, should stress that, that in each of the cases I write about in this book, it's obviously the case that historically there has been homophobia. Yeah. It's obviously the case that historically women have been at a disadvantage in many societies. Mm. It's obviously the case that there has been racism. What do you mean when you qualify all of these things by saying historically or has been? That, that it's worth bearing in mind that the era we're in doesn't come from nowhere, among other things, and that sure. we may be on some kind of... If we are on some kind of correction course, for instance, mm -hmm. it's among other things, bearing, it's worth bearing in mind the possibility that we might be in periods of overcorrection. So it's, it's yeah. worth placing our current oh boy. in some kind of <laughs> historical context. What he means is, oh, everyone's so racist against me because I'm white. Yeah, it's, it's kind of baked into this. The problem is, <clears throat> the problem is that if you had d didn't know anything about him, you wouldn't know what views he was talking about. You would have maybe grokked that he doesn't, that he's transphobic or racist or whatever, right? Because he's complaining about being called those things. Um, but you wouldn't, there's no, we're like 10 minutes into this and they haven't brought up like a single issue. Like if I'm like, when I interview somebody, I want to, I'm going to be out in 45 minutes, right? I just don't want to do, I, I just think that if you're going to talk to somebody, especially if you disagree with them, just get out of that shit in 45 minutes, get to the fucking point and get out. Right. And like, yep. they're spending an awful lot of time here, kind of hand wringing about the state of discourse. And like, you can't do anything about the state of discourse because everyone's involved, right? Like, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> like, say you're fucking and you say, can't man. Get mad that you're labeled a racist by everyone because you're saying racist things. Like, I mean, I guess you could get mad at that, but it's not going to change. No one's going to hear your cries of, oh, I'm not racist. You're the racist and go, you know what? I guess everyone else is racist. You're the only one that's not racist. That is because if, for instance, somebody is deeply worried about sexism or misogyny or homophobia or racism. Yes, there have been good reasons to worry about that. Is there a good reason to weaponize it now and allow people to make other political points by using those issues? I'd say not, but. Okay. Name those political points that people are saying rooted in the past, mm -hmm. certainly in a legitimate cause. Like everything he's arguing against is hypothetical. It's not even hypothetical. It's like so vague as to be, to be the, to the point where he's not saying anything almost. Yeah. <laughs> Like, the people against me are saying things, and I disagree with them. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. <laughs> okay so me too, buddy. Me too. That we still live in a racist culture. Is that an accurate statement, or is that a false statement, or is it kind of somewhere in between? No, I think it's a, uh, it's a, it would be a defamatory generalization about right. a society like ours in Britain um, to say we live in a racist culture. Just like it is to say we live in a patriarchal culture or a sexist culture or a rape culture or any of these other. But he's acting like these things are binaries. We're like all of a sudden one day up, oh, racism gone. That's not how any of this works. <laughs> yeah. He's also just making this point without any sort of like evidence. Well, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't go to it. I don't go to a discussion in, in site studies or whatever. But he, the problem is, I don't even think he's really making any points. He's mostly... This is mostly like 
just complaining that people don't like what he has to say and are saying so and are writing articles about him because he's like a public figure at this point. And it's like, well, dude, fucking <clears throat> again, Kara, Kara Swisher, when she talked to Sam Harris, she's like, you know, you want to be loud in the courtyard. What do you, what do you think? Nobody's going to talk back to you. It's like, uh, he's also, uh, he's finally answering, uh, cosmic skeptics earlier question. Uh, when he was saying, you know, historically, of course, there's been racism and sexism. Uh, and then Cosmic Skeptic goes, okay, well, is there still racism and sexism? And he, you know, waved his hands and played like he wasn't going to answer it. But right here, he's answering it. He's saying no. He's saying there's no longer racism. There's no longer sexism. Right. And I just have to hard disagree on that. I would I would say that he's suggesting that the progress means that there's that we're done that we're at the end of the road, right? It, see, it's basically suggesting that because you've been on the road for three hours from San Francisco, you must already be in Los Angeles, right? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Claims that get thrown around. That isn't to say that there isn't racism, that there can't be sexism, that there can't be homophobia. Of course, there can be. It just so the the argument would be that those things exist, but they're not. What, what is it institutionalized well, like what is it that makes it kind of a cultural phenomenon rather than just a thing that exists within a culture well well first of all um to say that that a thing can exist that that there are individuals for instance who may have unpleasant views themselves and to then extrapolate that out and use it not just as something that the whole culture is meant to suffer from, but mm -hmm. as the defining issue of the culture. You know, we don't live in a society which, for instance, provides uh, um, welfare to people who are not able to look after. No, we live in a racist society. Right. But so that's interesting that he kind of conflated the two, right? The idea that, like, that he said, oh, well, you know, we don't have a welfare, so we're racist. It's interesting that he would go there, that he's like baked into that is that people who are not white are the recipients of welfare and social programs. Yeah. But that's not even what, what people like you and me say, when we say we live in a racist society, we don't mean that everyone in our society or everyone running our society, or even the majority of those people are racist. What we mean is society was built in a way that institutionalized racism and those systemic racist problems still exist. You right. could completely solve the problem of individuals being racist. Like, let's say right now we just completely solved no one at all is racist anymore. The problem of racism would still exist. Because it's not the people that are doing the racism. It's the system that we've built that does the racism. Right. It, it's, like a, it's like a barge. It takes a while to turn. Yeah. Uh, the point I would make is that although some people do believe that something like racism is what defines society, that's, mm. not, so, that's not necessary to say that we live in a racist society in the mm. sense that you, you can say that, in, uh, that, that, we, that we have a red apple, but it's not the redness that defines the apple. It just mm. happens to be red, right? And in the same way, it may not be racism that defines all of our social sure. institutions, but you could still perhaps, or, or at least the argument can still be made, that the society, uh, one of its attributes 
is racism. You could make that. I, I think that there's... And you don't think that's I don't true? Think that, no. You don't. Are you making that argument, host? Okay, so if it were true, this is the this is something I was interested in reading reading your book about like the the criticisms of, of concepts like intersectionality and the criticisms of of positive discrimination and things. Would you still be as critical and as suspect of these uh, approaches towards society if we did live in a racist society? Well, if we did live in a racist society, then many of the claims that people make would be legitimate, and you'd have to act on them. You'd have to act on them. I'd submit in a general way as well as on a case-by-case -case basis. Right. But it, it is extremely hard, I would submit this day, for any fair-minded person to look at a society like Britain and claim that racism is endemic or sexism and misogyny are endemic. Mm. And when somebody interprets an entire society in that way, I think that you then got to start separating out. Are you talking about a critic who wants to improve you? Or are you talking about somebody looking at you as an enemy? Right. This is such a hostile interpretation of a society. I don't think it can legitimately be being made by people who simply want to make minor improvements in it. Yeah. Well, the reason but that's the thing is some people, do, like a lot of people want to make non-minor improvements. People want to do things that someone like uh, Doug Murray and maybe the host here would think are drastic. I know some of the things I would like to see happen might be considered drastic by other people, but like, why does, why does it matter? Like, why does it matter that somebody's, uh, this is almost like the good faith, bad faith argument again. Why does it matter mm -hmm. if someone's argument or if somebody's saying, Hey, you know, we live in a rape culture or we live in a um, misogynistic or sexist or racist society. Why does it matter what their intent is, right? We keep coming back to this. Uh, what if my intent is to tear down the system? Does that mean my claim of the system being biased against certain people is incorrect? Or does this person just not agree with how I, how I intend to go about fixing it? Those are actually two entirely separate matters. I'm more of an incrementalist than a tear down the system kind of guy, honestly. He's the kind of person who... He's the kind of person, I'm the kind of person who he would ostensibly like if only there were bigotry and racism baked into our society, which clearly there's not because Doug Murray says so. <laughs> like, nope. <laughs> is because I don't think uh, it's, it's particularly interesting, although it might be important to discuss whether society is racist. The reason that I'm asking you isn't just to get your opinion on that, but to say that it seems to be uh, that you're implying, therefore, in saying that if we did live in a racist society, perhaps these methods would be appropriate, mm. that the problem is not, in fact, the approach. The problem is that they've got the context wrong. But the actual, the actual attitude, mm. the kind of, uh, in order to solve a problem like this, something mm. like intersectionality would be a good approach. Uh, no, intersectionality would still not be a right. good approach. Intersectionality couldn't be a good approach. <laughs> That's the opposite of what he just said. Also, like, not for nothing, like, intersectionality is just the simple idea that you aren't just one thing, that you're several things. Like, uh, like Doug Murray is white, posh, rich, and gay. Those are those are all fucking things that people know about him and they will affect how people how society sees him and so the idea that we that we don't have intersecting the idea that we don't have intersecting identities and that we should and that to the extent that we do we shouldn't think about it is just to turn your fucking brain off <laughs> yep like 
I'm a white man. Boom, I've done intersectionality right there, haven't I? Like <laughs> You have. You can only describe yourself as one thing, one thing at a time. <laughs> like what did, <laughs> this is this always drives me nuts. This always drives me nuts because people oh, intersectionality, intersectionality. And but then his whole thing is that like he's a gay conservative. Well, that's an inter, that's intersectionality. Like like what are what are they ta- what do they think intersectionality is? I think they think it's extreme uh left views. I think they just kind of lump everything in as extreme left views. This is this is frustrating, right. but because although, it's demonstrably untrue. Well, can you say that with confidence? Because yeah, the, the right. reason the reason why you say that uh, uh, it's demonstrably it's untrue that people uh, have multiple intersecting uh, identities been trialed, and so people mm. can't go around saying that it's true. But if it hasn't been trialed, then how can you say it's false? Well, no, I say that look, it's false because the claims it makes are demonstrably false. The idea that, for instance, if the central intersectional claim that the world is based on a set of interlocking oppressions and that if mm-hmm. we unlock... What- That's not intersectionality, though. Intersectionality is just the intersection of your identities. In fact, intersectionality, in my case, I'm, 45, I'm 46 now, and I'm white. Those are not oppressive factors. Those are factors that work in the opposite direction of oppression for me. If I get pulled over by the cops because I'm 46 and white, the cops are likely to leave me the fuck alone. So it's like not the intersectionality. It goes both ways. It isn't just the, the, the like intersecting uh, bigotries. It's also intersecting privilege. Like what this guy hasn't even like been exposed to like just the basic notion of intersectionality it is it is like it's like describing my laptop as a uh, black and dell right it's like it's like you just you're describing things using multiple you're describing people's identities using multiple fucking adjectives or descriptive terms that's all it is these i don't know who the fuck they're getting this stuff from because it's nonsensical. It just doesn't make any fucking sense, even on its own terms. Black I mean, are, are we surprised that he's strawmanning the argument? I don't even know if he's, is it a, I guess so. He's like, yeah, he, it, it, it's really, it's really odd to like, listen to like supposedly smart people who are like, their job is to be an intellectual whose understanding of just a fucking word that people have been using for a very long time. And you can describe real simply in just a couple sentences. It is lacking compared to mine. I'm an idiot with a talk show host with a talk show who sometimes drinks too much on my talk show. And I, I, I could be fucking three sheets to the wind, two in the morning, drank half a, half a, half a handle of vodka during the post game and somebody could be like, what's intersectionality. I might slur and kind of fumble over my words or whatever, but I'd be able to tell you what it is in just a couple fucking sentences. These guys are, <laughs> these guys are not idiots with talk show. I mean, maybe, I don't know. Maybe they're idiots with talk shows. Maybe we're all just idiots with talk shows and we need to fucking, we need to get <laughs> off of our fucking off of our high horse a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> you know, the argument I make in the book, among other things, yeah. this is, Demonstrable nonsense, because it's very clear at this stage that gay and trans do not happen and work together. They do not interlock together. If you so-called unlock trans, 
Wait, cool but that's not intersectionality. That's that's it could be that you are a trans man who dates other men and now you're gay. And so yes, trans and gay would intersect, but you could be a trans man who dates women or wants to sleep with women. And now gay and trans don't intersect for you because those aren't your two of your identities. Those aren't two of the things you are. <laughs> like that's, I can't fucking believe what I'm listening to here. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I have no idea what he means by this. Like the, the most charitable interpretation I, I could possibly give him is he means that people aren't oppressed if they're gay and trans. Cause I can't imagine he means that a gay trans person doesn't exist because they just do. He may be making this argument that, that the uh, gay lesbian and bisexual, he may be getting like winding up for the argument that gay lesbian and bisexual people shouldn't necessarily uh, team up with trans people team up with trans. You know what I'm saying? Like that we shouldn't consider ourselves all one queer community. I feel like he may be winding up for that argument. Um, Maybe because there's a lot of that going on. Although I think there's a lot of people on Twitter doing what I would, would have been calling digital gay face, <laughs> which, which means you, you know, on, on, it's on the internet. <laughs> nobody knows you're mean. a dog, you know, <laughs> it's, it's that one. So I yeah. think he's winding up for that saying that like, uh, cis gay, lesbian and bisexual people shouldn't necessarily, uh, ally with uh, trans people. But my, my argument against that is like, well, you know, the bigotry I see being hurled at trans people, it rhymes a lot with, uh, what we saw for gay people like 30 years ago. So, uh, maybe we should, uh, maybe we should ally with them because, uh, uh, they need our help. An enormous amount of oppression to gays straight out, straight out. And what, what, what does that well, look like? Because we have the situation of, uh, well, you might call it disappearing of young gay men and women. Uh, so wait, his argument is that gay people are oppressed, but not trans people? Let's go back to the beginning and look. I did not see that coming. What does that well, look like? Because we have the situation of, uh, well, you might call it disappearing of young gay men and women. Uh, one of the points of gay liberation was that gay people... Uh, should be allowed to decide, work out their sexuality themselves and not be told that because they were gay, they were basically of the opposite sex or a sort of that gay men like me were not sort of women in hiding. Right. Um, and that, that lesbians say that? are not just actually men, you know, manly women sort of thing. This is, this is a very basic yeah, thing. But I don't think the, the trans well, activists are saying that. Oh, they are saying that and a lot more. The whole campaign in trans at the moment is to say what? there are people who we can identify while they are children as mm. being actually in the wrong body when, for instance, it's an effeminate um, young man. Right. Or a or a slightly manly girl, uh, you know what we might have called a. Tom. I mean, generally, no. You you don't assign trans to a child. The child just tells you, like you you know you have a you have a child who was born in a male's body, and you're raising them, and they're like five years old, and and they say, "Mom, Dad, how come I'm not a girl?" And you kind of go, "Oh, <clears throat> right. well, you can be if you want." yeah he's this is this he said they're disappearing gay people and this is a big argument that i see from uh people i think who are often again doing digital gay face um i don't think like that there's 
<clears throat> I don't think there's a lot of I don't I don't think there's a lot of people out there trying to tell uh, young uh, cis gay men or cis lesbian women or whatever that they're actually trans. I think that this is like <clears throat> I think this is just incorrect. I I think that there's yeah, that, there's, I I don't think that happens at all. Like I mean I, <clears throat> I mean I, <clears throat> you can't say it never happened that it wasn't ever misdiagnosed or whatever as gender dysphoria, but I feel like as gay people have become more and more accepted by society, it's uh, actually easier to to live as a gay man than it is to like to be a trans woman. So I don't know why like parents or uh, uh, mental health professionals would be pushing anyone in that direction if it didn't seem like the direction they want to go themselves. Because you're like you're like pushing that person into a direction where they're going to be discriminated against. So I don't know why anybody would push someone in that direction if if it doesn't. If it isn't pretty clear that that's what that person already thinks themselves, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think to the extent that that does happen, uh, he might be talking about like cis people saying that, right? Like cis people saying, Oh, you like men, you must be a girl. Right. And that's homophobia. Like, that's like an old kind yes. of homophobia. Yeah. It's the, emas the, <clears throat> the emasculation of gay men is an old homophobia. Oh, you're gay. You must not be what, what I consider to be masculine. Yeah. So like, he's not talking about trans people. He's talking about homophobes. Right. And, and he's talking about homophobes from like 20 years ago too. Right. Like, yeah, <laughs> this isn't very modern. None of this is very modern. Nobody's, I don't, <clears throat> I don't think this is happening. I just think that this is a yet. An, this is like yet another way that people try to justify their bigotry. Yeah. The intersectional activists are actually saying that that these things unlock at the same time rather than grinding in a really ugly and increasingly ugly way against mm. each other. Or let me I mean they would okay, so if you if if you're born in a man's body, like me, for example, and you're you are straight, right? You like women, then if you transition to female, they do unlock at the same time. You become both trans and gay at the same time. <clears throat> this is all, this is all so weird. <laughs> this is all so weird. <clears throat> this has so far been pretty weak pushback from cosmic skeptic. The case yeah. of trans rights has to be unlocked and it can only be unlocked if we also unlock um, institutional misogyny. Well, what do you do with the fact that so much of the male to female trans issue runs directly against what feminism has tried to do for the last century, directly against it, by like what? basically embodying stereotypes about women that women have been trying to get away from since the first wave of feminism. And again, if the intersectional claims such as what? True, like, why does he never provide any examples? The there wouldn't be these terrible grinding gears going on. It would be being clear by it would become clear by this point that the whole thing frees us all up together, and it doesn't. But when I say that uh, if this hasn't been tried, I say that it's very unwise to, for instance, roll out things like um, uh, bias training mm -hmm. across all government departments across an increasing number of corporate uh, and um, parts of the corporate world if it's if it's not clear at this stage that this thing works that that particular aspect of it the bias the alleged 
bias identification and and uh, um, training. So so yes, I think that there isn't there isn't a world in which the intersectional thing uh, works because on its own claims it's 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 not. How much you want to bet but, though but that I think it's <laughs> if it turns out bias training does work really well, he'd still be against it. And it's not like this guy's at some corporation where they're where HR is sending him to any of that shit anyway. This guy's an independent yeah. contractor who writes for the Spectator and goes on podcasts. Like he probably hasn't even been to one of these trainings. So like what like all he's hearing is he's if he's hearing about them, he's hearing about them from people who are like a self-selecting group of people who are going to complain to Douglas Murray about them, and so they're they're maybe going to tell him about those things in a fairly biased way. Yeah. Like I had zero problem with all of my bias training. I went through, you know, like a, like an online, like hour, sometimes two hour course, uh, once a year when I was at, uh, Google, when I was at LinkedIn, you know, those companies do that. They, they give you the, the online bias training seminars. Uh, and like, they're not doing that out of the goodness of their hearts. Right. Doing that because legal they're says doing it legal. so that they're covering their ass. Yeah, legal says they have to do it. Yeah, which is like fine. Like it's good that we have laws that make them do that to cover their ass. I agree with those laws, and I'm fine with the bias training because, like, to me, it was all, you know, mostly old news. There was some things that I that I learned in those bias training, but most of the time it was just like. Yeah, you know, don't like try and be conscious of your your own biases and, you know, don't go with your gut on things when you could think it through. You know, kind of just straightforward advice like that. Out the intersectional bit, which is a specific uh, uh, claim from other specific rights claims. Notice how he moved on from the claims he was making about uh, uh, like trans acceptance, erasing cis gay people and... And maybe, maybe, maybe we'll get surprised here, but our, but our host here didn't say shit. Yeah. Yeah. He's doing a, so in, in the other interview, I thought he was like, just like bare minimum fine. Um, uh, in this one so far, he's been well below bare minimum. It is bad. This has been a bad interview so far. No, I, right. I think it would be a shame if, for instance, if there were an element of society that were discovered to be really institutionally racist, if we had to then, instead of addressing that, address it only by going through the logjam of intersectional claims about mm-hmm. it. You know, in fact, it's probably, that would probably be one of the worst ways to solve such a specific issue. And we see quite a lot of that at the moment where people say we can only solve this issue if we also solve X, Y and Z. We hear this quite a lot at the moment within the anti-capitalist movement. You know, we can only address capitalism if we also address, you know, institutional misogyny and racism and et cetera, et cetera. It's such a large panoply of things. That but not- no, no, no. It's that the anti-capitalists that. That the anti-capitalists tend to be leftists. And they also care, they also will tend to care about sexism, homophobia, and racism because they're leftists. They don't like that shit either. It's, it's, it's not that, it's not that those people are like, well, we have to solve everything at once. It's like the, the argument that I think he's trying to like straw man here is that like in solving these, in solving these issues, 
we're going to have positive impacts on other issues that are that are hurting our society. Like if we have a positive impact, for example, on you making capitalism better or whatever, it's going to help with some issues around race and homophobia, just kind of like as a as a splash over effect, right? And so the, the just just because the people who are interested in you know critiquing capitalism also happen to think that we live in a racist society he's like he's like extrapolating a lot from that like just an awful lot from it i think Mm -hmm. and i don't think if like if if you had a solution you know to one of these problems like if you were sitting there with a big old switch and you said should i turn off the racism in society no one's gonna say "Mm." Not unless you can also turn off the sexism at the same time. Like, no one would say that. Anything to do with each other. I noticed when I was, uh, I went to witness the protests against Steve Bannon's talk at the Oxford Union oh, yeah. not that long ago. And I remember there were lots of people there and you had the typical um, Oxford against fascism signs. But you also had people carrying around things saying, save the NHS. Yes, of course. As if it's got anything to do with... Well, well in, there's a class of person who wants to protest against everything. Uh, that's a perennial. Um, There's never a protest that they can't turn up to with their banner of choice. Um, uh, It's a particular type of psyche, in my view. Most reasonable people people who care really only turn up to a protest under serious duress when something very close to their own life is being affected. Mm. But a reasonable person does not... So he's arguing against intersectionality, and then he's saying there's people that go to all sorts of these protests. Like, boy, I wonder why. <laughs> We're waiting eagerly to latch on to any. Well, un- unless unless they think unless they think that the, those kinds of issues that are so personally affecting mm-hmm. and moving are embedded into the culture they're living in. At least you can you can understand why they might be of that mindset, even if you think it's wrong. If you thought that you lived in a society that was constantly oh. challenging who you are, you'd probably have those those uh, picket fences by the door Poss- ready to go. Or possibly, although possibly. we've just seen the uh, phenomenon of extinction rebellion, and um, indeed, it, it's it's you know the, the demographic of that, from what I saw in London, was people who hadn't had anything big to protest about since 1968 and love love the whiff of. The fumes of righteousness that they haven't had since then. You think that's what it is? You think part, part of it? What? Part of it. I mean, there's like a bunch of eighty-year-olds out protesting right now. <laughs> is that what he's saying? Yeah, that's funny because Extinction Rebellion is a bunch of young people who are willing to take drastic measures that some people think are cringe or whatever to draw attention to the climate crisis. That's what Extinction Rebellion is. They think they mm. think that the climate crisis is going to cause us to go extinct, and so that that's extinction. The second part is the rebellion. And so they are willing to rebel to push the needle in whatever way they can to forego, prevent, delay what they believe is an extinction that is going to happen. It's like, it's a pretty easy thing to understand. <laughs> I think a more effective solution would be to eat the rich. I mean, just just to go back to the thing of like who would be protesting within the areas of the thing I'm writing about in the madness of crowd. Yeah. Obviously, there are some people who are deeply sincere in their view of what our society is. Mm-hmm. Largely, I would submit because they've been told to believe this stuff by adults who are themselves 
deluded or wrong. But I think it's very sad, but I think it's visibly. This is this thing, too. It's the the chemtrails. People make this argument that, oh, you only believe that because you were told to. But I figured out what's really going on by myself. I hate that. I hate that kind of argument. It's like, no, I I assume that the people who I don't agree with have some agency. (laughs) I I don't know. I I know it's crazy to think that, but I think the people that disagree with me uh, have, in fact, thought these things through most of the time. Yeah, or at least attempted to. Right. Like, but no, he's like, oh, they're just brainwashed by someone else. And it's like, well, that's a really convenient thing to think about people who don't agree with you. Uh, Madison Star Moon believes the same, same thing. Good job, intellectual guy. I've seen too many cases. <laughs> I've spoken to many people who actually. But then, do. like, wouldn't you, wouldn't you have to argue against the person that's doing the brainwashing? We live in the most oppressive society imaginable. And that's because they don't have a historical memory going back before last week. Yeah. Literally no one is saying that. What the fuck is wrong with him? Anybody anywhere who believes that this society is oppressive in any way, if you're like, hey, could you imagine how it could get worse? They're like, yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like just everyone will say, yeah, Nazi Germany would be worse. Right. Right. It could get worse. <laughs> That's what, yeah. that's 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 why we're uh, that's why we're trying to put the brakes on shit right now. Actually, act like you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like we don't want it to get there again. Been there before. We didn't like it before last week. Yeah. And, do, do you think that? Do you think that's true? I hate to interrupt, but do you think it's true that they're saying that it's the it's the most oppressive society imaginable? Well, I mean, that that seems a bit of an exaggeration. It's at least that it's ex- exceptionally <laughs> yes. uh, unfair. They don't, I mean, I, I, one has to almost get anecdotal. How about just but, name a single person ever who has said that? Just I've one person. People, if I may say so, sort of your generation, who have adopted the hysterical attitude mm-hmm. and who when you did... And down, Dave, I know that you say, you, you like to tell me, oh, I'm sure there's one crazy person on Twitter who said that. This time, I honestly don't even think there's one crazy person on Twitter who has ever said that. No, I don't think so either. If you just add, again, anybody, you say, could it get worse? They go, yep, there, you've fucking destroyed this guy's fucking argument. Yep. <laughs> Less reason to be hysterical than any generation in history. On the, yes. I mean, you know, I was speaking, again, sorry to get anecdotal, but I, there was a young lady in an audience I was speaking with recently who was confronting me after some matter, and she was telling me all of her concerns of her generation. She said, no, there's, there's North Korea, you know, is developing nuclear weapons. I was like... Your parents and grandparents grew up under the shadow of total annihilation. Yeah. Okay. Total global nuclear annihilation. Therefore, you, you, you're not allowed to worry about it. His father saying to him, we may not wake up in the morning, so make sure you yeah. say your prayers to me. Also, not for nothing, the person he's talking about, it was probably at one of his talks, right, at a university, and this person was probably like 20. Nothing wrong with being 20. Plenty of smart 20-year-olds. <clears throat> But all these anecdotes these people come up with are fucking teenagers who aren't media trained, probably aren't even allowed to hold the fucking mic. They're standing there with security holding the mic at an event where most of the crowd is against them. And they're probably nervous and they're probably not going to be the most articulate motherfucker in the world because they're not up on stage. They're not a fucking public intellectual. So that's all well and good that like some 20 year old like was inarticulate. And. Okay. Like that's what I'm, like, and also, like, why aren't they allowed to be worried about North Korea having nukes? Like, what? Because, because people used to be more afraid of nukes, now we can't be afraid at all of nukes? You know, I wonder, when, 
that's interesting. You know, I'd like to draw a parallel here because these people are all freaking out about crime, like a slight uptick in crime in the cities, right? Should my, by their logic, my argument should be like, well, I don't know. Have you ever heard of the 90s? Violent crime was at a very high, violent crime was at like double the rate it is now in most major cities. So maybe you should just shut the fuck up. You can actually apply that dumb argument to anything, right? If it was ever okay. worse than it is now, then shut up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would say that is not the best argument. Uh, you know, I would say you can't extrapolate a trend from one data point. Right. Right. And the, the trend is on violent crime is downward still. I'm just saying like yeah. when they say that, that you, I mean, my, my response is something along those lines. I'm like, Hey, the trend's been downward since the mid nineties and it's been pretty consistent. You know, the fact that it ticked back up a little bit in some cities, you know, maybe wait a little bit, see what happens. Wait and see. Yeah. If it keeps going up, sure. That's a problem. But if it goes back down, wasn't a problem. What if it like hit like the bottom and it's like bouncing off of the bottom, right? That's the best place <laughs> to be, right? <laughs> bouncing off the bottom. Okay. That was just a normal household at the at the height of the missile crisis. Yeah. And and so so yes, there are there is something of there is something of just a, a terrible lack of historical context about what we're going through at the moment. But one of the things But even if you have historical context, you can still be worried about modern society and you can be worried about nuclear prol proliferation. Like you can, you can be, I'm concerned if more countries, even if the, you know, the Soviet union crumbled, well, guess what? Russia's still there and they still got a lot of them fucking nukes. So like, even, even so, like you can still be worried about the proliferation of nuclear weapons. Cause these are fucking doomsday devices and it doesn't matter which country has them, right? Like it doesn't matter which country has yeah. them or how, how terrified it is reasonable to be of them. They're terrifying weapons of death. Yep. Instant mass death. Yeah. Oh, uh, this is this is a, a really like astoundingly stupid argument that he's making that just because you know something was worse in the past you can't be upset about the present. Like lied. That's been that's been how things get better is people upset about how bad the present is right. No one's it's not getting better because someone is saying, oh, well, the past was worse and now it's not as bad. Therefore, I don't know. That, like, how, how would anyone make society better if everyone thought, you know, because it's better now than in the past, we should stop trying to make it better? Just imagine like, imagine like, well, we used to not have a wagon. So why are you building a car? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We used to not even have the wrong wheel. With trying to make society better. We used to not even have fire. So why are you uh, building a furnace for your home? Too often, <laughs> too or persuaded that the hysterical attitude is the appropriate attitude of a serious person, but rather the people who have cottoned on in the most cynical way imaginable to this whole thing and are at this stage using identity issues as pure political battering ram. But now you're like all over the place, right? He was, oh, well, this girl that I fucking, well, woman, probably a young woman at the university. She was like worried about this nuclear weapon thing. And now I was like, well, there used to be like people were more afraid of nuclear weapons and building bomb shelters and your parents and grandparents. And now actually I'm mad about identity politics. And it's like, dude, fucking come on, man. <laughs> fucking get the fuck out of here. Like finish a fucking, what is this? Austin Bennett? <laughs> 
Well, I think he knows that if he finishes a point, uh, he's going to have to answer a rebuttal to that point. Because, you know, Cosmic Skeptic here has not been good at going back to these ridiculous arguments that he's making. So he's been essentially getting away with making just absolutely moronic statements and not having to back them up. Believe, I believe what we're experiencing here is a, uh, I'll call it a slow rolling gish gallop. <laughs> mm-hmm. Those are, those are in some ways the ones that are most interesting. Yeah. But, I, but before talking about that, I'm interested in, in, in this, this example you give, you say that, you know, people, uh, historically in the UK have, have had good reason to be genuinely worried and to be protesting their governments because they and, lived and we less than anywhere. Well, because because, <laughs> because they lived under the under the threat of total annihilation within their mm-hmm. lifetimes. Well, is that not exactly the claim of the Extinction Rebellion protesters that we live under the threat of total annihilation and we need to do something? Yeah, they do. Uh, are, not, are not their parents also saying, "Listen, you know, this 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 species of ours mm. might be gone yes. sooner than you can do anything about it." Right. That but, is their attitude. Yeah. Sure. And and whether or not you 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 agree with that or think it's wrong, right? you're kind of criticizing the mindset of, of self-righteousness and not recognizing that we live in a better time mm. uh, than, than ever in, in history. Mm. But if it is true, surely it, it makes sense in the same way that it made sense then to worry. It makes, it, sure. it makes sense now to worry too. And in fact, you could say well, that the, the, the environmental crisis, if mm-hmm. it's as bad as they're saying it is, is much worse than the threat of uh, nuclear war, which at least well, could be abated by governmental action. Well, it, it isn't worse. I mean, we're not... Oh, so he's just fucking gonna... Just straight up climate change denial... Yeah, apparently he's a climate scientist. I had no idea. Where did he get his his education? His climate science education? Like, things have been going a little bit worse than most of the models have predicted, as, as far as I know. It's, <clears throat> I just don't, like, this is just like, well, it's not worse than the threat of nuclear annihilation. It's like, well, I think he believes that because in our lifetimes, we're unlikely to see the worst of it. Um, yeah, but my kids, you know, if I have kids in the next few years, those kids definitely will see the worst of it. If not them, then it'll be their kids. Right. And and once, once the ball starts rolling and we start having massive amounts of climate refugees, because places on the planet become uninhabitable for human beings, you're going to think you've seen the worst of it. You're going to think you're living through the worst of it. Cause you have like really no other perspective on it. Right. You're like, what do you mean it's 130 in Libya? What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no. It's a beautiful sunny day, 78 degrees here in the North Pole. Right. <laughs> I'm not an expert in climate, but I need an awful lot. Really? Really? You're not an expert in climate, and yet you just made a blanket statement that all of the predictions of real climate scientists who are experts in climate, all of those predictions are just wrong. Or overblown. No evidence I given. Think, they're I, just wrong. I think you would say, here, we'll listen again here. I'm not an expert in climate, but I need an awful lot more persuading from the people who take the Extinction Rebellion view. So check this out, climate scientists. Stop what you're doing. Your job now is to personally convince Douglas Murray that the work you've been doing is valuable and that the peer review of it has been good and that the replication of your work has been valid. Just stop everything you're doing. Doug Murray doesn't agree with you. He just isn't yeah, also, convinced. Also, he's not going to read any of your studies. 
<laughs> so you have to personally convince him without him bothering to listen. Right, right. Immiserating our lives in order to, to agree to what they say. Sure, but I then, I, 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 there's an awful lot more persuading to do. Yeah, but um, then I guess that the people who are protesting aren't the people to be doing that, right? So, so there are people aren't the people. To no, I, I don't think so. I think it's the it's the job of the of the scientist and the researcher to do the persuading. And if you are persuaded, then you go and protest, even if you can't necessarily defend the science yourself. If you see what uh, I mean. So, sure. If you're mainly listening and seeing in the news the stories of these extinction rebellion protesters, mm-hmm. and I see these videos on YouTube of people going and interviewing them about the issues and getting these mm-hmm. these sound bites of where they don't know what they're talking about, and it's sure, like, well. Right. A lot of people don't know what they're talking but, about. But do yeah. they need to be in order to be angry about something that they've um, become convinced of? You, you ought to be very sure before you seriously disrupt everyone else's life. And you ought to but be the, the fucking consensus is in. Like, this isn't... We're not, we're not at the pre-consensus part. The consensus has been... The, the consensus has been like this since the fucking 70s. It's just that, like, a lot of the people doing the research were funded by oil companies. And we're like, here, sweep this under the rug. We have evidence of that. It, the consensus ain't changed much. The only thing is that like the, the models keep getting updated because things keep getting like it, the old models are like, oh, well, it's actually a little bit worse than, than what we thought of the old model. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, <clears throat> this is happening. Turns out we're really good at digging oil out of the ground. Right, right. And we're also really good at burning it. Right. We've been doing it for a long time. Just that, just even intuitively, the idea that dumping a bunch of fucking smoke in the atmosphere isn't going to do anything. It's like, get the fuck out of here, you dumbass. <laughs> right. <laughs> but keep in mind, he said he's not an expert. So we should literally listen to nothing he says in this interview. Baked into this, too, is that we uh, should reject, uh, maybe reject expert consensus because Doug Murray specifically hasn't been uh, convinced by it, which is wild. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great? If when someone says, I'm not an expert on climate science, they just shut the fuck up about it. Or said, my best understanding of the expert consensus right now is X. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Like, we're not experts. So, like, we would love to shut the fuck up about it. But this guy's going off like he knows what he's saying. And we're just here to point out, he's not an expert. And the, the other thing is the experts as individuals will still defer to the, the expert consensus, which they may be a part of, but they're going to, you know what I'm saying? That they're not, they're not like one expert who's no. out there that knows the whole fucking shit. They like know like one sliver of it and you put all the little slivers yeah. together and you get a fucking pie and that's the fucking thing. That's like, that's like how it works. Like, yeah. Like how about we listen to panels of experts? Can we just have panels of experts go on like every TV show? And talk, you know what? <laughs> Have you seen the movie Don't Look Up? That's literally what they did in the movie. And everyone was still, you know, they just still let, let it happen. <laughs> and I think that's, that's a predictive documentary. Right. And that's Forever. The, that's the same kind of logic as saying, like, you need to be sure that this works before you enroll it in society. It's the same kind of thing. Yeah, like being I, sure that intersectionality works or something. Yeah, I, I, rolling it a out. certain amount of humility in this regard wouldn't be. Oh, yes. He's so humble. Sure. I suppose these people listen to how humble he is. Humility. Perhaps in more more ways than one, actually. There's there's no time for humility, but there's also they just don't have time for humility. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. But I'm saying, I'm just trying to kind of express, like, you know, uh, I wasn't on the street protesting with Extinction Rebellion, Mm. but uh, I, I, and yes, it's annoying when I can't get to work in the morning, but at the very least, I can kind of understand that. 
if they've got because take for instance like you say if we lived in a in a racist society then protesting against racism would of course make sense and maybe the reason it would be a, a silly thing to do in mm. your view is because the racism doesn't exist it's like but you can recognize that if it were true like those protests would be intense. If we lived in a genuinely racist society, you'd probably be okay with people blocking traffic uh, in order to, to get that fixed. You, you might find better ways to address the problem than blocking Yes, traffic. protest is supposed to comfort the comfortable, actually. Well, of course, so, you so do what you what? could. Yeah, you're supposed exactly. to protest quietly at homes where no one can see you. That's the whole point of protest. It's like prayer. I wouldn't like That's what they said to Colin Kaepernick, and then he just knelt, and they were like, nope, too far. Even that's too far. But, only in its, only in, only sure, its methods. But one of the things looking back historically at this like the cosmic skeptic could just like do the bare minimum here and be like well the consensus among the, the experts not the extinction rebellion people who you think are cringe is that this is a big fucking problem yep like i guess not no rights movement in america which it's worth remembering had an awful lot of support from non-black americans as mm -hmm. well um, one of the things that's just so striking about it, about, I mean, I compare it um, with the gay rights movement in America, particularly the March on Washington 30 years later organized by the LGBT community, yeah. compared with, with a rather a downer <laughs> on, the, on the gay version. But the, the reason I mention it is because what is one of the striking things looking back on the civil rights movement, but mm -hmm. the unbelievable moral force of the argument being made. Right. It wasn't... We, we're going to make you agree with us by disrupting your day or by shrieking or by behaving terribly or by pissing off the entire society until it agrees with us. It was... That's literally how protest is effective. Moral force. You can't resist it. Mm -hmm. And that was what happened in the end. That was what happened. And, and if, it, if it wasn't done in that manner, would you have less respect for the movement? It wasn't done in that manner. People stood in front of a fucking military or National Guard and were sprayed with a fucking fire hose. And then they got back up and stood right the fuck where they were before. Like, this was a bloody battle. People were killed. This was a violent battle. The, it's just that it happened in the past, and unfortunately, it's been whitewashed. Like, what, are, what the fuck are they talking about? Even given the rightness of its cause. Well, I, I mean, for instance, there are good causes historically which have been ruined by people doing it the wrong way, for sure. sure. Which one? I mean, for instance, I'm not a particular, I'm not at all a supporter of Irish nationalism when it seeks to change people's, the territorial integrity of the United Kingdom. But Irish nationalism's cause was very significantly uh, harmed in my own lifetime by the decision of a certain number of people to disappear a woman a mother of 10 like Jean McConville from her home, shoot her in the back of her head and disappear her body. It wasn't like, well, you know, it, this didn't exactly help the Irish yeah. nationalist cause in the end. Naturally. So, of course, there are, there are some causes that can be good which are then 
wrecked by the behavior and the tactics of their followers. Yeah, but on yeah. a kind of less, um, less, less wrecking ball approach to this, you take like the the um, approach of someone like Rosa Parks, sure. uh, or at least the, the... Oh, let's do Rosa Parks. They whitewash the shit out of Rosa Parks too. Like, get the fuck out of here. Yo, <clears throat> I hope they bring up the suffragettes because the suffragettes invented the mail bomb. Like, <laughs> Really? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> it's... I've, I've read at least that it wasn't as spontaneous as people make it out to be, oh. but the fact that she kind of, she disrupted people's day. She she disobeyed the law. She yeah. uh, she probably stopped the bus from getting moving for a very long time. And someone mm. might come along and say, listen, I get the whole civil rights thing, but like, mm. you're just going about this wrong, Rosa Parks. Like you, you're, you're poisoning the movement. You're just pissing everybody off. Come on, you oh. go go knock on Parliament's door well, instead. But several I, things. First of all, I mean, that getting into, the striking thing about Rosa Parks was the dignity of the protest. I mean, that's what everyone remembers about mm -hmm. it, surely. It's, 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 it's that everybody th it reflects still and were struck at the time yeah. by the fact this seemed, this was such a dignified way of protesting. It was, it was triply hard. to. Oh, she was one of the good ones. Oh my God. You can't fuck. I can't fucking believe this. I would not be able to sit through this. I would be, I would, I could, I couldn't imagine even like a moderate liberal sitting through this shit right here. Yeah. Um, Real bad job on the part of Cosmic Skeptic. I think we're going to go a little longer. This has been than extremely disappointing. We're going to go a little longer than we usually do on the pod this week, if that's okay. Yeah. If you're so inclined to oppose. You think? So it's, so it's more hard to, to oppose something like that, even though it exhibits a similar kind if you're of... Dealing with, if you're dealing with a certain type of society. And I mean, this is my point, is that right. arguments with, with moral force in the right conditions, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but... But to get back to the things that people are claiming at the moment, I mean, you know, obviously every country is different. Uh, and one of the things I think we're suffering from at the moment is the rolling out of this, of an interpretation of all democratic societies as being broadly similar. So that, for instance, the undeniable racial problems that specifically exist in America end up, the interpretation of them, and the lens of that ends up getting rolled out across other countries as well. That's one of the phenomena that I think people haven't quite realized at the moment, but which is going on mm -hmm. so that a specific issue. Wait, his, his argument is that because American society is racist, people are lab labeling British society as racist. Is right. that what it, he thinks? It couldn't. It couldn't be that people see similarities, right? It couldn't. It couldn't be that. <laughs> yeah, like that's that is ridiculous. <laughs> Effectively, the lens through which the issue is seen in all other countries. Yeah, that's uh, definitely a problem. You mentioned that. earlier about. A, a, a potential overcompensation yeah. for the historical yeah. uh, abuses of, of yeah. racism, sexism, things like this. Uh, what kind of things are you talking about? Uh, I'm very interested in overreach because... Yeah. No, no, the, you weren't... No, 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 that wasn't the question. I would be if, fucking if pulling my hair out at this point if I was conducting this interview. Such as <laughs> Making this guy eat it. We've had, as I say, sexism. Um... Do you correct by getting to equal? Do you correct by overcorrecting for a period? Mm -hmm. If you believe that the swiftest way to correct it is to have a period of overcorrection, which I think a lot of people 
knowingly or otherwise do think is is the case. Right. When in that case would you identify that the overcorrection had happened and how would you get back to equal? I'm very interested in this in each of the um, issues I write about. So I think... Because... I think he's arguing against affirmative action here. Uh, You know, playing the victim, saying, well, I'm disadvantaged as a white person because we've given so many advantages to black people. And I would say... um, Absolutely not true. White people still have major advantages in both American society and British society. And if he doesn't believe that, then he's just a fucking moron. I think like, just look at the people who are in charge. If you want to see who has the power there in the gay rights discussion, were gays exactly the same as straights or slightly better. Okay. Mm. A weird, really uncomfortable, not that common, but it was there. It was there. Wait, what? Um, Does sexuality matter or does it not? Right. Does sexuality matter? Does it not matter? Or does it matter more than anything else, for instance? Those are are big differences just there. Um, Are women exactly the same as men or are they the same and magically better? Mm. Wait, what? Are black people the same as white people, or do they have something a bit better? Yeah. Now, I, I quote, as you know, in the introduction, the talented young, um, as it happens, black American writer. What the fuck is he talking about? He mentions that among his contemporaries in America, he couldn't help noticing in recent years that they, they seem to think that he had some special moral insight because he was black. And that would be an example of overcorrection. You know, Wait, what? You get past equal and go on to... No, with that, it's... Well, it's life experience. Right. Right. A black person has the experience of being black that a white person does not have. That doesn't make them better, and it doesn't make them worse. It gives them a different perspective. That's it. So if you want to ask, what is it like being black... Don't ask a white person because they don't fucking know. You get past equal and go on to slightly better. Well, is he saying that he's he's uh, better, or is he saying that he? No, no, he's not saying he's better. He's saying that he interprets his white contemporaries as seeing him as in some way better. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yes, but uh, so I, the I think the the principle that goes behind the overcorrection would be something resembling retribution, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Sure. I don't know how much you buy into retributivism, generally speaking. Um, but to huge, me, the, huge factor. The interesting point about this is if we consider, because you say like, how far would it go? Like, how do we know when it's done? Well, yeah. retribution implies like for like, right? It implies kind of a, a of a um, eye for eye type approach, yeah, yeah. meaning that. It, it may be the case that these people, by, by wanting some kind of retribution, they say the overcompensating is done when as much damage has been done to sure. you as has historically been done to us, which yeah. is obviously a disastrous approach. I think that's what we're going through from some people. But is there any legitimacy to the retributive approach of saying, well, listen, you've punched me in the face. Sure. And you could say, well, look, do we want to get do we, do we we want to fix this by becoming equal and no longer anybody punching each other in the mm. face? Or do I get to punch you back? Well... There's an added layer of complexity. Uh, that's no, that's that is not correct. <laughs> uh, it's more like you have caused me to be in a situation that sucks. 
not not you like but you know society the previous society has caused me to be in a situation that sucks can the current society help me get out of this situation that was caused by the previous society and you can't you can't make some analogy of people punching each other in the face that's just never going to work right because because a dumb uh, analogy like a fight happens over the space of a few minutes right (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah and and the i guess the best analogy would be you punched me in the face and caused me lifelong distress so can i sue you for the damages that you caused me and the answer is yes no one would say that that the answer should be no right there right if i punch you in the face and i destroy your eye socket and you you know have to live with like pain and distress for the rest of your life i owe you <laughs> right <clears throat> that's weird um i get the feeling that uh doug murray has never been in like a fist fight <laughs> which is actually kind of shocking like if you think about it because of the you know the i thing. mean it's good no one should be in fist fights right but it's also I mean, I, it's, I, it's also unless it's your job. It's also right, right. But even even then, I'm I'm not really big into like blood sport. But yeah, it's not even if it were that claim, that would be one thing. But the claim is something like historically, you punched somebody like me, so I can punch you now. I I, it, I think it's more like historically you punched somebody, and as a result of that, I'm suffering well whether or not you agree with that that's that's more more accurately the claim surely um we've recently seen the interesting attempt by some people to do gay reparations piggybacking on the back of like who's doing that in america for black americans and this just goes to show the fact that this this stuff can just spill out everywhere Mm -hmm. uh because some people just want a bit of cash and Goes that everywhere. What's going on with some people? Yeah. Next but, thing you know, no, I think the the, uh, uh, the trees will want. I think the attempt. To, I don't know what what would ridiculous thing is he going to say here? Attempt to claim suffering because a forebear suffered. No, no, no. It's not that this punching in the face is like the dumbest fucking thing anyway. Like it's the literally the dumbest version of this, right? Because. Yeah, if somebody who looks like me punched a black person, you know, fucking a hundred years ago, that doesn't fucking really do anything, right? Like, like that that was solved in the moment, and the black person was probably arrested for their face getting in the way of a white person's fist. Um, but <clears throat> if people like me were involved in redlining all the way up through the eighties as a as a matter of law for who could move where, well, then yeah, maybe some retribution is is in order and that retribution in capitalist society fucking it's the money baby it's the money it's the money from not being able to build generational wealth yeah he he has this idea that like uh that racism was solved generations ago and people complaining now haven't been affected at all by by systemic racism but it's like there are people who are currently living through systemic racism whose society is currently wronging like today right now open because i don't see how you close it so i don't see how you close it for me let me give you a quick example of that. sure 
Again, I'm, I'm interested in us trying to have reasonable attitudes towards ourselves as well as towards our past. And if you take the view that, for instance, there are people today who suffer because of their gender, sex, sexual orientation or race, and they suffer because a forebear suffered, for instance, you, among other things, you, you engage in so many lies, but one of the lies is that everybody who wasn't of your group was somehow part of, therefore, the oppressor group. Wait, no, so there were other groups that were oppressed. That's, that, that's, that's just not true. Not, yeah, literally no one has said that. And you're not, <clears throat> like, like the, the suffering isn't the same generation to generation. It's fucking, it's now economic, right? It's like, yeah, there's, there's the overt racism, don't get me wrong, but it's far less common than it was in the fucking 50s or whatever. <clears throat> but, like, my parents were still alive when before this my parents were alive before the civil rights act passed my parents were alive when my mom was alive when women couldn't have a credit card if they were married they would have to prove that they were employed and not married <clears throat> this isn't like some far away past this is like this is like my parents generation i think doug murray's maybe around my age or a little bit older this is his parents generation we're not talking about like the fucking 1600s here yeah my parents as well were yeah, alive well before. Like, my dad was a teenager when the Civil Rights uh, Act passed. So, like, like, I don't know how long it has to be after, like, we get rid of, like, institutionalized redlining. And by institutionalized, I don't mean that, that it still happens today. Real Realtors, realtors, people like real estate agents still do it, right? There's still neighborhoods where they probably won't show you a house if you're black. Um. But like <clears throat> this like ended in the late seventies or the early eighties as a matter of law. So like how, how quickly is everybody supposed to like, how quickly is everything supposed to balance out as far as like generational wealth? Like, I don't understand. I don't understand like what he thinks is supposed to have happened. Like I just lose it. I no. lose the thread. I just lose the thread well, there. I think it's because he's not arguing from, from the from a point of uh, he's he's arguing from the point of a racist like we we already know that he doesn't think very highly of black people so he doesn't really care how he gets to his his conclusion you know the argument doesn't matter he's got his conclusion right <clears throat> and you know, I mean, his problem because he's his problem because he's in the UK is going to be more likely going to be uh, immigrate like the people who are subject to racism in in the UK. There's a lot of uh, people from India whose uh, heritage is from India. There, a lot of Pakistanis there too. Um, so, like, it's not going to be analogous one to one to the black experience, but it's going to be pretty close and. That's who he's concerned about. That's who he's worried about, um, like immigrating to the UK, right? That's his great replacement is going to be people from people, mostly from the Middle East or, uh, South Asia. Um, because that's, you know, it's just the, the remnants of the, uh, the British empire. And it's, it's just, 
I just, I'm having such a hard time following what he's saying here because <clears throat> this kind of discrimination written into law, at least in the United States, like I was alive, I think, while there was still redlining, like just for a couple of years, I, while there was still like institutionalized legal redlining, I think I was still alive. My God. An average white British person today must in some way put up with some overcompensation mm -hmm. the other way, when in actual fact most of our own ancestors did not spend the 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th and 19th century just living in clover, but scratched out a living, died far too young, had lives of horrible toil to just provide for their families. And it wasn't yeah. like they were massive beneficiaries. Yeah, everyone shed a tear for the slave owners is what he's saying. Systemically racist society. It's it's such an unfair interpretation of what our forebears went through yeah. in a country like Britain. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, I suppose you could say that they perhaps were... were to, to say that they were benefiting seems ridiculous because they were suffering so much, but you could still say that perhaps they were, they were suffering less than other people were. But again, uh, we get into this... I mean... Whether they were suffering or not, I mean, yeah, but we it, it can't doesn't matter. Weigh right? this of, stuff of course, up, of course, it's you know? a, of course, it's a silly argument. But uh, allow me. Wait, to, why is it a silly argument? In the way that <clears> I mean, the way you're framing it, the way you're presenting it, sure, it sounds silly, but that's because of the context. Because there's no, there's no like third person there to be like, excuse me, no, the the here's the argument, like right, like you or me even aren't <laughs> sitting there and going, hold the fuck on. <laughs> This is like a this is like a cartoon. They're like arguing against a cartoonized version of like historic oppression. Yeah, now they're both straw manning. I feel like is perhaps the argument, and people who who are putting it the way you're putting it are, are not mm -hmm. fully understanding the point, which is like, um, it's not that somebody in my ancestry suffered, and because. Uh, they suffered at the hands of somebody else. Mm -hmm. If you are a descendant of that somebody else, you deserve mm -hmm. uh, the retribution. It's like, well, not only have I suffered as a result of that historical injustice, but you've benefited from it. So it's not it's not by virtue of, of you being part of the ancestry that mm. caused the harm in the past. It's by virtue of you now benefiting from that, right? That's the argument I hear. How would you respond well, to like, that? Well, like, this is... Okay, so th well, there's still an issue with that interpretation here. Uh, it is not... The idea of reparations isn't let's let's take from specifically white people and give to black people. That's not the idea. The idea of reparations is society has harmed black people. Historically, currently, society has has caused black people to to suffer. So society as a whole should remedy that should help build back you know the black portions of their society uh to get them you know support to to undo some of that damage that centuries of systemic oppression has caused so the idea isn't like i'm going to take from you as a white person and give to this black person the idea is society gives to a, a a race of people who has been systemically oppressed for hundreds of years 
Right, because the argu- <clears throat> the argument they're making would kind of assume that because that because I don't have British ancestry, if I showed up in Britain all of a sudden, that I wouldn't have uh, uh, privilege or I wouldn't <clears throat> benefit from the privilege of, of white Britons uh, because I, my ancestors didn't specifically um, oppress anyone in Britain because they weren't fucking there. Or maybe, I mean, maybe they were. I never, I was never into that weird genealogy shit. Those people freak me out. But, um, <clears throat> but I would still show up and benefit from whiteness and people who show up there who aren't white are still going to show up and ben- and like uh, suffer, suffer the, the historic, like the ramifications of uh, non-whiteness. So, it's like isn't about like your ancestors. Do you know what I'm saying? It's a very again, it's overly individualized. Mm-hmm. There are so many things. One <laughs> one one problem in this whole thing is like who's going to do the accounting on this? Mm. Like seriously, who are the accountants? Not you. I mean, people. Are the government is going oh, yeah, to do the, the accounting. Trying are the people who also want the government. Fisheries. That's the answer. Not, He's not, not looking for a real answer, but the actual answer is the government. I mean. What if we agreed, for instance, that we should draw up a list of suffering people in history mm. and find a way to compensate people for it? Yeah. We might find, for instance... Great idea. I'm all for it. A list of races that have suffered are the Jews. Mm. Yeah, you yeah. know what, I, though? You're, I, you're whole, I would... Hold on, hold on. Your whole shit falls apart because the fucking Germans did reparations. Yep. Yeah, I would agree. That's the right thing to do. And it was done. So uh, fucking you know, to a certain extent. <clears throat> I mean, like, and you know what? It wasn't done to Asian people in California. Right. Because we're American. And it should have been. Absolutely. Do we do some massive house to house money taking right. and give it to the Jews? <laughs> no, it's called what taxes, fuck? you fucking moron. Like, again, he's just. <clears throat> like every society that has um, uh, oppressed uh, the Jews has not done this, but the Germans saw fit to do it uh, after World War II, after they reconstituted their government into something less uh, Nazi. <laughs> like, like it, was it perfect? Yeah, like, no. Like, I don't know. I don't even know that much about it. I just know that it happened. I don't, I don't know the details. And it fucking happened a very long time ago. And fucking, it seemed like it was the right thing to do. A fucking you, you, he's just wrong. He's just like the most recent example of a fucking massive atrocity, uh, like against like somebody against a group of people in Europe. There were reparations paid. Yeah, and it was the right thing to do. I have to imagine right here he's he's playing stupid because I can't imagine that someone would be that stupid. Like it's it is hard to think that his brain is so fucking broken that he can't figure out that reparations would come from taxes. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So the, the other thing, if we, if we let's grant him and I, I'm, I, I don't think that maybe, I don't know that if, if he's wrong, let's, let's grant him that over the course of history, uh, Jewish folks have been the most likely to be displaced, uh, slaughtered, whatever. Well, when you go look through all these movements for people's uh, civil rights, especially in the, in America, Guess who's standing right next to those people? A lot of fucking Jewish people. That's who's standing right next to those people. Why are they there? Yeah. Why were there a lot of Jewish people in the civil rights movement? I, I'd like to, I mean, I think I know the answer. It's called empathy. Um, but I mean, yeah. like what the fuck? Like what, 
what is he even like this is i'm gonna start getting fucking pretty mad here pretty soon i think i don't usually get super angry on stream i'm i'm a, this is gonna start get i'm gonna start getting pissed off here i i i just where on earth would this end you yeah. know my my well, presumably my, it would end after that if we managed to actually account for everything because of course like how about a lot, how, oh they're nirvana fallacying it now good job thanks would easily follow that yeah my four best yeah, we we can't do anything good because when are we going to stop this country and its liberties than your forebears therefore i, I can't eat ice cream because then i'll just keep eating ice cream forever okay. people could do that they could that, they could easily do that but they next. wouldn't because that would be silly right but well it, it's all silly at some point <laughs> yeah. because we're looking at we're looking at history as some kind of bank that mm. we that where deposits have been put that are being kept from us yeah and that well no but banks no, no, no. I'm looking at generational wealth as a kind of bank because it operates yeah. in much the same way, actually. Yeah, it's it operates literally like a bank. In fact, yeah. in fact, I put in fact, my some money of that wealth, in the beginning. You know, and that wealth, now I have a lot of money. This person wasn't allowed to put their money in the in the beginning. Right. You and know, now they I, don't have a lot of money. You know where the generational wealth tends to be stored? In the bank. Yeah. <laughs> Well, property maybe, but yeah, yeah. But you could turn yeah, that, you probably could mostly property. You could turn that into money, and where would you put the money? The bank. <laughs> so the bank <laughs> yeah. analogy works pretty well, actually, dude. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> money is stored in the balls, <laughs> and the interest rates are pretty high. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, as I say, that's why they call it a coin purse, right? What's so I just think a, a reasonable attitude towards history, among other things, would help us to have a more reasonable attitude towards the present. But the whole thing is being interpreted in this extraordinary zero-sum, highly retributive way. And one other thing, if I may, just to add to that is, yeah. I'm obsessed by this issue. I, I wrote about it quite a lot in The Strange Death of Europe. I mean, he's interpreting it in a zero-sum game. He's saying if we give anything to black people at all, it comes out of my wallet as a white person. That's literally what he's doing. He himself is interpreting it as a zero sum game. And it's 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 because of the way taxation works. Funny enough, some of the taxes the black people paid would go to the reparations, right? Like just because That's true. of the fucking yep. fungible nature of money. You can't be like, nope. oh, this is just actually the white people taxes. That's not how the fucking money works. <laughs> <laughs> Forgiveness. As you know, I write a chapter about it in The Mans of Crowds. But why we spend no time thinking about the mechanisms of forgiveness, which, as you know, I quote Hannah Arendt on in this book, which is just something fascinating to me. We we are living in societies where um, guilt. He wants to be forgiven for for having including his white privilege. That's what he's saying. Made to be he's saying, overwhelming for. No one should take it away. I just want to be forgiven for it. <laughs> certain groups of people, but we have no thought about what the mechanisms of forgiveness would be. But here's the other problem from that is that oh, oh one part of forgiveness actually is. Um, Oftentimes, um, a little bit of comeuppance for the person who is going to be doing the, the forgiving, money. right? Yeah. Like, it's a little easier to forgive. Like, if, if, if I take your car out, right, and I crash it, well, it's going to be a little easier for you to forgive me after I replaced your car, <laughs> right? Yep. Yeah, it certainly would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, if I... Like 
if I accidentally if I accidentally set your house on fire somehow. Well, it's easier to forgive me for it if I can uh, fucking help you help you rebuild your house or whatever. Like, come on, man. Yeah. Or let's say, you know, it wasn't even your responsibility. Let's say you have you have a son and I let your son borrow my car and he crashed it, right? And then you pay for it. It'd be a lot easier for me to forgive your son for it if you paid for it. Oh, that's a it's going the other direction, but I see because I didn't crash the car, but it's still some to some extent still my responsibility. Yep. Oh, okay. We're 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 like way up against it here. We're 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 pushing up against two hours. So I think this is as good a place to <laughs> stop for the pod as any. Yeah, that, uh, I don't, you were you were absolutely right. That was incredibly frustrating, and I am extremely disappointed in uh in Alex of Cosmic Skeptic. I'm Yeah, I'm definitely no longer a fan of that guy. Uh, I looked it up, and I am not subscribed to his YouTube channel, so I don't have to unsubscribe. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I just like what he is. What's he's been doing this for a long enough time that we can't really be like, well, he's young and inexperienced, right? Because he's probably been broadcasting longer than I have. Possibly, yeah. Um, I mean. Yeah. yeah, I am older and I've had more life experience or whatever. And we'll, we can we could grant some stuff because I think he's still under 25, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, I think he was 24 when we looked it up. But that like if that's the case and you're not like really ready to challenge people, maybe don't have people like Douglas Murray on your fucking show. Like you could yeah, just and not either. He's not ready or he's not willing. Right. You could just not have Douglas Murray on. And my guess here is there may be a way in which his numbers started to plateau right or even maybe started to go down because you like we've said before about like why did the new atheists all get into this culture war shit it's like well you can't you can't you got to go somewhere from like just doing the same kind of skeptic or the same kind of oh jesus isn't real content it's been our criticism of new atheism or at least mine is that like well they couldn't if they were going to delve into culture war issues they should have done it like better <laughs> or or maybe not at all and it's like maybe it's one of those things where he's like well i have to keep growing this if i'm going to continue to do this for a living and i you know if i want to continue to up my standard of living or whatever and if i'm going to do that the, the fucking route for me as a skeptic is more douglas murray less matt Dillahoney, right like i think if you're doing that uh something's wrong you should not be feeding your family off platforming white supremacists. Just the end. Right. And like I, you know, I mentioned that about the recent, uh, I don't want to get into it too much, but the recent thing with the young Turks, I mentioned it on, um, on Sunday is that maybe they saw their, um, numbers starting to plateau. So they dipped their, they dipped their little toes into the fucking turf pool to see if maybe that, uh, fucking, would get them some new uh some new love and some new subscribers and i feel like that it's it requires so few assumptions to think that that's likely what's going on here this guy has seen like the meteoric rise of some of these kind of idw and like you know sort of racism critical or like sjw critical people he's and he saw the rise of them and i think that he it doesn't it just doesn't take a lot of assumptions to think that that's probably what's going on here even if he's telling himself that something else is going on here yeah very sad and uh, 
I would also be really surprised actually if that if like if you have Douglas Murray on and he's not already if you're not already like Sam Harris or like a friend of his, I'd be really surprised if this guy didn't get a rider that he had to sign saying you will not call me a racist. You will you know what I mean? Like I know Brett Weinstein Probably, yeah. has a has a rider and I'd be willing to bet this guy has a rider that he sends to people and it constrains people. But I just wouldn't sign such a thing. And I don't know that to be the case, but I'm just like, I just, we're just watching. Yeah. And I would say signing something like that is unethical. Right. Right. It's, it's unethical to have someone on, um, who, who's espousing these kind of views, uh, and promise that you won't criticize them. Right. Or that you won't do it in a harsh way or that you will not engage in like, his would probably say something like you will not assess my character in a negative way or something like that. Right. That's sort of the language I would assume is in these, in these kinds of things, but I don't know. I don't know for sure. I do know that Brett Weinstein has a writer. And if I had to sign something like that before, um, I interviewed somebody, the only way I would ever do it is I would stipulate that after the interview that I would be allowed to make the writer public. Hmm. Yeah. That's a good one. But I just wouldn't sign. I'd be like, get, get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. This is sad because this, I, my, I hadn't seen a lot of his videos, but my impression of this young man was that he was a fairly nice guy. Um, that he w- didn't seem racist, that he didn't seem like, it seemed like he was just kind of, it seemed like, and maybe it's just like same as me bias or whatever that I thought maybe he was like a progressive or at least like a, like a, like a center left kind of liberal and center left liberal in, in the UK is more like a progressive here generally. And, like you don't have to do this. Doing this is a choice. And this is a bad choice. And yep. I don't know how I mean I looked in the comments and he was getting I mean, check the comments on this, everybody. He wasn't getting a lot of pushback from his fans. Cause that skeptic community, you know, it is what it is. Well, I'm certainly going to comment on it and uh you know, let them know what I think. Uh, I would not recommend anyone else to do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, we can't. We can't. But if you, uh, yeah. yeah, don't don't ever have a hero, man. Because if I mean this, this guy's pretty young, and he probably wasn't. Uh, oh no, his audience probably trends young too. Now that I think about it. Oh no, probably. Yep. Well, this was this was unsettling. Um. I'm sorry, and if if you've listened to the the whole show, I'm proud of you. And uh, if you've listened to the whole show, it's going to be one of those rare instances where I'm going to read out the show. Uh, thanks, everybody, for checking out the Intellectual Dollar Tree. Make sure you're following on your podcatcher of choice. We're also on YouTube and Odyssey, though I don't recommend clicking around too much on Odyssey. Um, you can support us at Patreon.com or at Eplex.store. You can buy merch there, or you can join a Patreon-like subscription there. This is going to be Boomers by Periscope. Um, when we come back, the lights will have changed colors and the contents of at least my drink will have changed. And we're not going to watch the rest of this shit. Fuck that. See everybody in red light.
If you like what we're doing at Echoplex and aren't into Twitch, please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Echoplex. For $5, you can get every show from beginning to end sent to you as an MP3. Even the stuff we bleep out because it's too spicy for Twitch. Echoplex would not be where we are today if it wasn't for the community support we receive. Find out all the ways you can support the show at echoplexmedia.com support.